Revelation chapter 18. I'll go ahead and reread this chapter since it's a whole unit and it's important to be able to uh, keep all of uh, this section together. We did do the first eight verses of chapter 18 uh, last week, but we'll bring it back in as we try to uh, uh, go about uh, noting the, the, the judgment imagery that's in Revelation 18. Revelation 18 verse 1, after this I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine. She will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her, will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore, cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, Scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble. Cinnamon, spice, uh, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep, horses, and chariots, and slaves, that is, human souls. The fruit for which you, your soul longed has gone from you. All your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. And all shipmasters, seafaring men, sailors, and all whose trade is on the sea stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city is like this great city? And they threw dust on their heads and they wept and mourned, crying out. Alas, alas, for the great city where, where all who had ships at sea grew rich, rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heavens. And you, saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, 
So will Babylon, this great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeteers, will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of a bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her were found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on earth. All right. Quite a visual as we uh, see this picture. A little bit of a reminder of where we were last uh, last week. And we covered those first eight verses. We saw the decree uh, that Babylon has, has fallen. And we noted this prophetic certainty. You see that a lot. Uh, as the prophets talk, they will speak of future events in the past tense, which means it's definitely going to happen as if, as if you have this visual of its fall uh, take, taking place. And, and we've spent our time in this last uh, half of the book noting that you keep seeing pictures of Rome and, and, and the Roman Empire. And that's probably absolutely the case when you look at chapter 18. It is... It is hard to stand in the first century and think of any other entity to which all of this wealth and all of this trade and all of this uh, uh, economy that is being described could be attributed to any other city or any other any other place. You, you, you clearly have this imagery of here's what life was like in that in that first century and the power of the Roman Empire, even particularly with Rome in terms of, of its economy. Uh, it is all seen there. Uh, as a reminder from last week as well, we saw in verses 4 and 5, the call of God's people, don't be like the, the people of the world because judgment is coming, a reminder to them to come out from them and be separate, in particular about the the worshiping of pagan idols, of the imperial worship and the emperor worship and all the various uh, false worship that is going on that they would be tempted to participate in because the Rome is ultimately going to pay for, for their sins. One of my favorites, and then we'll start moving forward where, where we left off last time, is you'll notice in verses seven, verse 7 and verse 8, uh, what's the thinking of the power of Rome and the Roman Empire? Nothing can happen. And, and one of the things that's always so fascinating to read is, you know every nation has thought that. <laughs> When you go back and read Isaiah or you read Obadiah, you know, you, here's, here's Edom. Nobody can take us. We sit high aloft and that now we all you know, go over there and take tours of all the things that they used to live up there. And nobody's there anymore. Uh, or Babylon, nobody can take us. We're, we're, we're the greatest. And of course, now you know, we take tours of all the, what used to be of the, the, the former place and former greatness. And of course, you know, then you have like Greece and nobody can take us. You know, great Alexander, we're, we're, nobody's going to ever come. Well, okay. And it's just constantly that arrogance that, no one can topple us, and, and Rome sits in the same position in the first century. They seem to be uh, invincible, and here's God making a proclamation that they're going to fall, which had to have been amazing in the first century to read. Uh, to, to hear God say that this thing isn't going to last, because that's not what it looked like. I mean, it just, it just didn't look, look that way. All right, so go ahead, Debbie. Uh, 
Yeah, and that's one of the things that you notice in chapter 18 is there's an, a, an awful lot of, of wailing and moaning and crying out. And, and what does everybody seem to be upset about in, in, in chapter 18? Why are they so devastated uh, by Rome's fall? What is, what's, the, what's the big deal, Muriel? Okay. Yeah, you'll notice that it just kind of just, just weaves all the way through this section talking about the immensity of the wealth that, that was going on. And as I mentioned last week, I, I, it's not my job to turn this into uh, Western civilization history class about here's what life was like in the Roman Empire, all those things. Uh, if those things intrigue you, I hope you'll go just do a little bit of, of research and all of that. But that is the power of the Roman Empire. When you read in, in verses 11, 12, and 13, just the, the list of all the trade that was going on at that time, uh, we can go back and see that that's exactly the case of, of the Roman Empire. It's in, even interesting to me in verse 12 where you have even the description of silk. And we know there were silk roads that were going to China and they were doing trade even as that far. India, they're trading spices like the cinnamons that are described here. Spice trade all the way to India. And so you're getting this imagery that all of this is going to come to, to a, a, a crashing end. Julie? And that's what's fascinating about how this judgment sequence of these chapters is given is that it's 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 describing that this judgment is not merely against Rome itself because the whole world is participating in, in the wickedness and is giving their authority to the beast and completely complicit in all that's going on. So they're going to participate in this judgment. Now, did you catch that's the irony of chapter 17 and 18? Let me remind you of chapter 17. Why does it say that the woman, this prostitute, is, is being destroyed? Did you remember what it tells us there? When you go back to verses... Uh, Verse 16 of chapter 17. Why is the prostitute, that's that city of Rome we've talked about, why is the prostitute being judged and destroyed and made desolate? What happens? Sorry, lots of whispers. Okay, the beast and the kings of the earth all turn against her. Now, isn't that kind of ironic? Because what does chapter say say was happening throughout the whole world? We're all upset that it fell. <laughs> it's almost one of those things like they turned against Rome and it collapses and nobody realized what that outcome was really going to be like. Uh, I even double-checked Google again. First thing that comes up, the Dark Ages are typically considered to have begun at about 580 when the Western Roman Empire dissolved. And I was like, isn't that interesting? You know, <laughs> right there as... Rome is disintegrating and its power and its wealth is all, all vaporizing. That's the beginning of the end. And I, I, that's what's so interesting to me about chapter 18 is you don't see other prophecies like this. Like you don't read, and when Edom falls, all the kings of the earth are going to go, where's our money and we've lost everything. Or when Babylon falls, everybody's going to go, oh, our trade is gone and everything is... 
this is unique. That when this one falls, it's going to be catastrophic to the world at that time. It's going to change the landscape economically. And that is what chapter 18 is trying to get at. That's right. And so that reminds us of this connecting back to Daniel 2 and Daniel 7, where you don't have in Daniel 2 with the statue of the four different empires. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold and we have silver and bronze and then clay and iron mixed together. You know, there's not a fifth. It's, and in the days of that fourth kingdom, the Lord's going to raise up this stone that's going to shatter all the nations and then become this great mountain. There's not a successor. Daniel chapter 7, there's four beasts. And that fourth terrifying beast is, is accounted to Rome. And there's not a, in chapter 8, and then the fifth beast, or no. This is it. This is going to be the end of this kind of global, dominant ruling over everything and terrorizing the people of God, perhaps more accurately, to what this is putting its its finger on, Charlotte. Um, we talked last week about the barbarian invading Rome. Well, they didn't have all these skills. They were uneducated. They wore strange garments. I mean, they Well, yeah, and, and remember, it, it, to to the Roman mind, who's a barbarian? Anybody. Anybody's not a Roman citizen, right? So uh, don't think of them as Neanderthals with clubs running around going, you know, oh, you know. That. But certainly the educated and economic power of Rome is all imploding at, at, at this point. Um, I don't know. We, we even talk about that in, in our day and time. Like, I mean, could you imagine what the global economy would look like if China and the United States just became desolate and disappeared. What would that do to the globe? A lot. It would probably set us back a whole lot. I mean, that, that is kind of the idea of what this is looking at is when you have something that has such a far reach in terms of not only its, it, it, its global dominance, but its trade, and that's where the riches are all coming back back and, and forth from. And that's now gone. There, you know, there's nobody doing that now. It, that's why you see this imagery. Well, I think it's important, too, the Bible talks about that thing, the fullness of time. God yeah. allowed all of that for a reason. One, that you have a dominant world power that allowed the gospel to spread. Yeah. But you also have this set up for the coming of the Messiah and Christ to come and everyone to know about it. Yeah. And I think that's important to realize when that was no longer and it had turned into immorality, it's like everything God gives us good and we end up turning bad. He ended. And yeah. I think that's important for us to think too about why some of those things are. Why do we have this world economy right. technology that allows sure. the dissemination of information yeah. quickly, but then we turn it and Oh, no, we are not like the Roman Empire that thinks we can never go backward and we would never have any economic disaster whatsoever. And we will always be at the top of the food chain and we will always have our wealth and riches, right? That's what they said. <laughs> That's exactly what they thought. They thought, oh, no, nobody can stop us. And God goes, I can. I can at any moment. And 
you know, lest we forget three years ago, you know, God for a couple of months went, let me just, let me just show you how I can stop the globe from spinning, essentially, and just go find your toilet paper. <laughs> you think you're so powerful, you can't find anything if I make it that way. God has the power to just stop things in an instant, and he certainly does here, but the people don't think that. They think it's themselves. Mike? Exactly. That it was all tied together at that point. So uh, I think this is all very important to see that kind of imagery and these depictions uh, that, that are given, you know, back in verse 14, your splendors are lost, your delicacies are lost. You know, all of these things that that you have enjoyed in your riches and wealth are all taken away. Kathy. Sure. That's right. All right, and, 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 and consider that to, to the Christian in the first century, this is what makes not participating in what the empire is compelling the Christians to do in terms of this idolatrous worship hard. Because it doesn't look like this is ever going to be gone anytime soon. It doesn't look like these things are ever going to change. And so it, there's a, an ease of the temptation to go, well, I just need to participate in the culture. And just belong in that way of thinking because this is the way things are going and it seems like it's going to always be that way. So why should I try to stand against the tide and try to resist the stream of all that's going on? And that's why you say, no, come out from them because eventually judgment's going to come and you don't want to be a part of that. Dathan? Yeah, I, I got the sense that the merchants and all the names mentioned had invested their, their lives yeah. in Babylon. Sure. So no Babylon has fallen. Yeah. And and I think the lesson to us is is that's not where we need to right. invest that's right. our our lives. Yeah. Because there's a tendency to feel like, you know, we have to you know, for, for financial reasons or whatever reasons. Right. But you know, that that's so temporary yeah. and, and failing. Yeah, their allegiance is tied to the fact that this is their wealth, that this is their, their economy, this is their finances. And thankfully, we have learned not to make decisions strictly based on financial economic gain. You know, we have understood the folly of that kind of foolish thinking, right? Nathan, go ahead. Paul says, I have nothing, and yet I possess everything. Yeah. I mean, that's just a that's profound it. statement yeah. when we consider what is happening. Yeah, to understand that in a snap, all that can be lost. In just a moment, that can all be gone. You have invested your whole life into these things, and here's God saying, I'm flushing it in a single hour. It's gone, Charlotte. I was just going to say, to kind of emphasize your point, if this is written about the late 600, I mean, 60 AD, yeah. that was not the height, but it was pretty close. It, it was moving that way. That, that's exactly right. And, and I, I think so. And I do think, again, that's, that I, I, that's the best pinpoint I can put on chapter 13's imagery of describing this beast whose head receives this mortal wound, 
And that's what you see in, in 68, 69 AD, the total disturbance of the empire. Four emperors in one year. Imagine having four presidents in one year because they all keep killing each other. <laughs> and then it gets stronger. It, it's the end of the first century where its power and its economics are at its, at its zenith. So, yeah, it's like, wow, well, it's going to always be here, so we might as well participate in it. Like, Oh, it's, uh, in case you had hope, it's mentioned three times in a single hour. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. In case you had hope, it's going to recover. That's right. God's judgments are always that way. God always says, you're going to think everything's going to continue on the way they are, but you're going to be surprised when it suddenly all comes to an end. You know, you're just going to think it's always going to be this way. And God goes, in a snap, in a single hour, I can, I can take all that, all that away from you. I want you to notice one of the keys there in verse 20. What are the people of God supposed to be doing, though? Rejoice. So notice here is this picture that judgment finally comes, that there is justice that is, that is given. A judgment is made against all that this empire and, and wickedness that has been going on for over, you know, as you, however long you want to measure its, its existence, so 200 to 400 some years, um, is finally now something is done to it. And, and God's people are ultimately vindicated. God has given judgment for you against her. You know, finally God is bringing this against them because of the wickedness uh, that that they have come up with. So you notice that it, to me the summary is that you have this city that is described as a world power that's never going to rise again in, in that kind of way. Again, I two points I'd like to make. One, to me, there's no way chapter 18 is referring to Jerusalem. There is no sense in which Jerusalem had a global trade empire that the whole world cried when Jerusalem fell. And just no, that just did not happen. Uh, also important, um, futurist point of view, look at chapter 18 and say, what's going to happen is that there's going to be this new global economic union that we're all going to be joined together under one currency and we're all going to be together in this. And then that's how God's going to destroy the world is because he all says it's all going to collapse like that. And this isn't talking about over 2,000 years from now, this is a very vivid picture of what the Roman Empire in the first century looked like in describing ultimately its fall, Jen. But pulling back into your verse 20 and that end when it says that he's doing this on the behalf of those in heaven, those under the altar. Mm-hmm. I would go with that to refer back to. The money, the commerce, the wealth is not the issue, mm-hmm. but what they're doing to the people of God and to God's kingdom because of that. Exactly. You know, I think that people get old, oh, this, you know, this country is so wealthy, so it's going to fall. That's not if the it's problem. using its wealth yeah. to continue, you know, for good in that regard, right. obviously these kingdoms were rising up yeah. by persecuting God's church and exactly. pushing them down. That's what they're called. Yeah. God doesn't care about money. Right. He cares about treatments and harm. No, especially because the reason why the empire has this wealth is because God has allowed it and decreed it. <laughs> and then now that you have been deemed uh, immoral, God's going to take that away. And God's constantly done that. That's, that's true for, uh, for our nation. He did that with Israel. He told Israel, before you go in the land, don't go in there and think all that wealth and all those riches because of 
your work and your might and yours. No, no, no. I'm the one giving it to you. So, yeah, that's exactly right. That's I think a, about that. I just talked to the little, little kids in the Tower of Babel. He didn't care. That, you know, sometimes yeah. the story is always because they were trying to reach heaven. Yeah. And it was their pride that they could do it in making themselves exactly. into God. God doesn't care how tall you're built. We have buildings way taller than that <coughs> right. building was. That, that's not the point. Right. It's, it's the heart of the matter. Yeah, the problem is what we do with our wealth and say, we say, well, look how amazing I am. That's right. I, I, I have done this. You know, Nebuchadnezzar is the great example of that. As he walks around his palace and goes, look at my great empire. Look at all my wealth. And God goes, oh, <laughs> no, you only have it because I say so. And again, you know, to me, again, 2020 is a great reminder of that. God can just stop that in an instant and go, watch this. <laughs> it's not because we had the power to do it. Because we certainly didn't have the power to keep it going. <laughs> we just kind of went, <laughs> Vicky. It's not just that, that, that what he gave us to prosper is, is he gives us, he will give us all. That's everything. right. We can have the highest. That's right. We can be a king as long as we praise him right. and live by his, That's right. his way. Yet they were in that time saying, just because now you have to go against him to even survive in any of that wealth. Yeah. Just to, to have a roof to be able to do in the market. So using it absolutely the opposite of what you know. So Ab- absolutely. Sure. Absolutely, Julie. Um, connected to what Jenny said, um, in their safe begins for this reason, and we know right before that is their arrogant. You know, I sit as a queen, I'm no widow, and I shall never see. And so we see that saying, you know, this is for this reason exactly. for your arrogance. And one thing I saw was in verse 13, at the very end of all the cargo, quote unquote, is human souls, mm-hmm. you know, and then right after it says slaves, that is human souls, verse 14, the fruit for which your soul longed, you know, as mm-hmm. if their souls were more valuable than the human souls they were, you know, trading as cargo, and yep. so it's, it's, it's just the absolute arrogance of these people and thinking that their souls were more important than other souls. Yes, and, and this chapter, again, does connect very well to chapter 6, where you have God's people essentially asking, why aren't you doing something? You know, how long is this going to keep going on? Why don't you do something? And you do have these words of of God saying, uh, I'm doing this for you. I am going to bring judgment on your behalf. And that phrase, your enemies are God's enemies. He will act on your behalf. And this is a a great reminder of that of that truth. Mike. Yes. No, that's exactly right. And it's a great, it's it, the situations that they were going through. Ours was such a miniature microcosm, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the, the question of, are you going to trust God? Uh, one of those sermons back then, because I remember writing it into my notes just because it's not something you would ever write into your notes, but I, I put in that lesson, I don't know if it was in April or May or whenever that was, I said, God knows we need toilet paper. <laughs> uh, do we trust God or not? <laughs> you know, or are we just going to jump out the window? He knows what we need. Uh, he, he, that's, the text tells us that again and again. Will you trust me? I'll take care of you. 
Uh, our problem is just we want we want to, you know, have an inventory in our house that lasts for years, and then we know we're fine. And God's always like, I'm just taking care of today. <laughs> That's all I'm, I'm working with with you. Uh, I've shown you this before because we've had this conversation about the trade. I could not find a map that went beyond that. It, that was not a, in terrible quality that I could use to put up there and not be just completely blurry. Uh, but the trade routes went out to, to India. It went down to Africa. I'm doing it backward thinking about the map and out to China as well. So it, it, all these arrows should just keep going east uh, in that. But you could look at those on, online in a very terrible quality that would not blow up on the TV very well. <laughs> but there, there's, there was huge what, what the empire was able to do. Kathy? It's uh, so amazing how far you see the trade went and yet there's five times between uh, 22 and 23 that that's it. Yeah. That's right. Uh, it, I only can imagine how those words would have rung out if you would have lived, you know, from the 400s to 1000 uh, AD, and just think about the way things used to be and the stories we heard from our great grandparents about what life was like, and now it's all completely gone and. Uh, yeah, it, it just it, it, that, that's the picture here. Is uh, it's describing that? Uh, and, and again, I would also point out that I don't think there's anything sitting here saying, you know, it will be no more. Means that you had to have uh, the desolation of the city of Rome never to be found. We've been talking that these are figures and symbols describing that this is the end of their power. This it's being brought to nothing. <clears throat> and so, the picture is not like there would never be. Uh, a Greece or a Rome or any of that kind of stuff, but that them as the world power is now being shut down for good, never to rise again. And that's what, what chapter 18 is describing, Debbie. I just uh, really appreciated that imagery here with the vulgar, mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, absolutely! It gives a great visual, right? Is you know, t- tie a huge stone around it and throw it into the sea. It's not coming back up again. It's it's done. There's there's no resurrecting this empire. It's it's the end of the line, uh, ultimately for it. Um, Nathan, what, what, what I see also is um, you know, there's a reference um, and says in the end of verse thirty and slave that is. Human souls, but and, and in terms of the time that this was happening, it, 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 what I'm picturing is that there is, there, there is a resurgence of this. So, so we have because you know timing, you know we we, we had slavery again and sure. abolition of slavery, sure. and so this is a cycle yep. that is going around. But I, 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 I sometimes you don't see. I, I like the fact that it says slavery, human soul, because we don't tend to see that. That's right. It's a, it's a, I believe this is a subtle commentary from God. Because you have in the Roman Empire, as they expanded their, their, their borders, you would capture people and, and, and bring them back and, and bring them as part of uh, slavery. If you know Roman history, that's a part of it. That's a lot of what the gladiatorial games were about, was taking the captured and 
making them participate in these enterprises that not only happened in Rome, but throughout the empire. One of the things that has stunned me in being able to travel to first century cities is to see they had those things all over the place. They had these kinds of... uh, Circus Maximus amphitheaters and smaller level coliseums and arenas where that stuff happened all over the place in the empire. And so you have a, a statement here by, by God, I think, going, I'm judging and you were taking people, you know, that this wasn't just for your fun. Uh, and God has always been against that. You go back to the, the law of Moses, which absolutely condemned the seizing of people. But I do think it is it is really neat to see that here that there's a almost a face put on it that you know this was wrong and God's acting on behalf of that absolutely all right uh, Evan just there I just add to under Roman law the, the, one of the differences is the development of the system of slavery as a total denial of the humanity of the person that and then this is. This is key when you read Romans to understand what he means by being slaves to someone is that your entire will is to be only an extension of that of the master. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, I think the commentary is on that, that perfection of the complete dehumanization. That's a good way to put that. Yeah, very, very good. That, that's certainly, certainly true. So, yeah, you see that that picture here, and uh, God clearly not okay with that and bringing judgment again in, in terms of that. Um, I don't, you tell me, I don't see personally the need to go through every little detail of chapter 18 because to me it's a very broad brush of your economy is wrecked and I'm going to take everything that you found valuable and of economic worth and I'm going to cast it into the sea and it's never going to come back again. I think uh, that's the, the idea. So if chapter 17, if I were to summarize, is a describing of the power and rule of Rome falling This is describing of the economic rule and power falling, that all of it's going to go. It's not just going to be, oh, Rome fell and somebody else fills the vacuum and things continue on. Not this time. This is going to be the end of the line for global empires that are being used against God's people. That's going to be the end of the line of that. And I think that's important to underscore. I think that comes back into play later in the book, but we'll get there. All right, Charlotte. I was going to say that last verse kind of says that it's like the accumulation of all the evil yep. in the world is just gone. It is, and that ending again really is befitting of Daniel two. That Daniel two doesn't say, and then God destroyed the 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 iron and the the clay part of the statue, but it describes all four being obliterated. It is a, an image of God saying, this kind of thing is not going to happen again. It's not just, and in the days of the Roman Empire, God's going to establish his kingdom true, but it's far bigger than that. It's saying, I'm going to hold into account all the world powers that have stood against God and his people. And I think that's why you can have such a broad statement in verse 24. In her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints and all have been slain on the earth. It's, it's just saying God has had his hand in bringing down all of these empires and ultimately culminates with the Roman Empire as, as a key participant of that. Okay, Julie? Um, also, just going right before that, so all nations are 
Yeah. Because, you know, the deception is the greatest, uh, you know, it was the deception of the garden that you know, caused the whole thing. Yeah. I, I think it goes back to, you know, verse 4, come out of her way, live separate, live apart. Yeah. We can be deceived. Yep. I mean, the word sorcery there is quite scary. Yep. Because um, we don't look at it that way. But um, I think it's just a call to wake up. No, no, I don't think so, and I, I think you're right because I, I think that's referencing back to the end of chapter 13. You remember the the second beast does wonders and signs in such a way so that it causes all the peoples of the earth to worship the beast. So it it's got its its mind around people to get them to think. You've got to participate and belong. And I think that's that idea of that sorcery and idolatry is that you've just deceived the people into just buying into that culture and buying into the way of what that world looked like and who was in charge and the empire and the emperors and the pagan worship. And this is the way things are. And they all bought in across the globe. Yeah. Vicki. I slightly hesitate on saying this since I turn up the speech. I don't feel like I know enough at times, but... For me, and uh, part of my question and speaking to you this week in my text, um, is I kind of see that second beast as religion yep. for the sorcery in itself. Because, and especially now that it's this long later, and we, and, and I'm just saying, unfortunately, my eyes are just now opening, so logically listening to everything with history and going back and going, really, people? Really? Um, because it, it does seem like, and that was why my question is like that, uh, it does seem like it's based on just to come down, like you said, for the second beast to be our God here. Yep. And for that to be it. So it's so hard to actually find the true God. Oh, absolutely. And it's just amazing. No, we're not tempted at all to think this is the way things are and we need to assimilate to our culture and completely belong and, you know, God's okay with us just doing what we want to do. <laughs> it's just, it's, the story that goes all the way back to Adam and Eve it's just is always the way things have been, Muriel. The pursuit of wealth and greed is certainly not a problem in our culture at all. That we would, you know, do anything we can for another dollar is, yeah, is at the cost of human life, at the cost of harming. Yeah, is again, as as I may mention over and over again, the more we, as our culture goes into depravity further and further. It's not for us to go, wow, what's happening? We're just becoming more and more like what we've always read about in the scriptures. We're just (laughs) following the same track of total demise as we move further and further. This is the natural happening of rejecting God. Uh, This is, you know, why, why not behave that way if there's no higher accountability or authority? Then do what you want to do. And who cares who you run over in the process? That's... Unfortunately, as we continue to say no to God, then the more people are going to be harmed. It's just the way things are going to be. Debbie Chipper. <laughs> yes. You know, and it's, I, 
It, it is. And this is, again, because the wisdom of the world is not the wisdom of God. And uh, as you take God away, then uh, darkness becomes light and light becomes darkness. And you have an inversion that's going to happen. And that's that's what we're observing. And we, you know, everybody wonders what's going on. It's just because we don't care about God anymore. And so this is what happens. And, and this is what we see happening here with the Roman Empire as well. Dathan? Been doing this thing on, on God and knowing God, but, but it's, it says that um, God can't condemn Rome because in her was found the blood of the prophets mm-hmm. and of the saints and of all who have been killed on the earth. And just seeing God's justice, because sometimes we, you know, there's so much you know, where God doesn't intervene. If God is good and is omniscient, mm-hmm. yep. He does intervene. Right. But I think there are so many instances in the Scriptures, yep. and it's saying clearly that Rome's dem- demise is, is was just and deserving. Yes. God intervened. Yes. And and, and, and pronounced judgment or dis- dispense His justice right. on Rome. And, and, and I think I think we need to be comforted by yep. that. that even though we see all this thing going on, that God is just right. at the right time. It That's might right. not be in our time. Right. God's justice will always prevail. This, this is where our hope uh, lies, is God always tells you the outcome and then says, wait for it. <laughs> right. I mean, that, that's what he does here. You're in the first century. I'm going to wipe it all out and it's not going to be anything left. And the merchants of the world are all going to be wailing over it. Now wait for it. Well, it's going to be a while. It's going to take some time for that to finally unfold. But it was said with certainty. Wait for it. It's going to happen. We're given the same thing. We're given the same thing. You know, why doesn't God do something? Why didn't he, you know, just, just, just wait for it. Eventually it's going to happen. But also we, we ought to always keep in mind, why is God always waiting? Why so long? Repentance. Repentance. Because you were really glad he waited for you to come around. <laughs> so when you get antsy about God, you know, you got to do something against evil. Don't forget then he might start with you. So we're grateful for the long suffering and patience of God. Uh, and as we talked about Sunday night uh, last week from Nahum's prophecy, he's slow to anger. So when judgment comes, that really tells you something. Yeah. <laughs> When it finally comes, that tells you, you you have finally burned through the long fuse and it's time to act. And there's no more room for any possible repentance any longer. God allows so much time for people to turn it around and eventually, okay, then we hit hit the wall. Dennis? I mean, we are so so short-sighted. Right. I mean, you have to look at this up here. From the time this was written, it was over 400 years before this finally all took place. Yeah. And look at our country and say, well, how can you let this go, you know, go on and sure. get something done now? Yep. We haven't even been around for yep. 300 years yet. No, no. And it, it's so, it's so far in the future to do. And we all do this. And that's, I, I find, I find it it's it's fun. Like, is it okay to say it's fun? It's fun. <laughs> I like read. I'll go back and read like what um, our brethren would write, like in the fifties and sixties, uh, in their articles about 
Yeah, this this country's falling apart, and it's just it's it's ripe for judgment any second now. And it's certainly, you know, it's like, yeah. But but you, we underestimate the long suffering of God, and we underestimate how long God will go to wait to try to save people. And we think, well, now it's got to be now. Well, maybe you live in light of that possibility. Uh, but every generation has always said this is the worst things have ever been. <laughs> it's fun to read it. Oh man, this is terrible. <laughs> it's important for Christians to remember you're never going to have the embodiment of that perfection in a human institution. Right. There, he doesn't tell Rome to repent. He's not telling Christians to go perfect Rome. Yep. It's always going to be this way. That's right. And that's the sort of lesson that yes. is where are you putting it? That's right. There is no no spot where we are told, now go out and make make heaven be on earth. Go. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> You're not going to do it. Uh, it's not going to happen. That's not the goal. I think that's a, that a good reminder for us is that this is a, a temporary citizenship because our citizenship is in heaven. And this is not what it's all about. This is not the end all be all. And we rest in the knowledge that God's sovereign. He's taking care of all of this. He's, he's got it under control. And you can imagine in the first century, you might think, God doesn't have this under control. Look at what's going on. Crazy Nero's the emperor. How could things be under control? God, good. don't worry, I got this. Franklin loves stuff. Solomon says uh, things are perfect here. And it also says in chapter 7, he made things perfect. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's right. He, yeah. God made things crooked. <laughs> And you can't straighten what he made crooked. I love that in Ecclesiastes. We, we think, oh yeah, God made it all straight. And we're the... Now God made some things crooked. <laughs> and you can't make it straight. So that you put your eyes upward and seek after him. Uh, chapter 19 next week. So go ahead and spend time going over chapter 19. Preparing for, for that. Uh, look carefully at who's being addressed as chapter 19 opens. Uh, and the end of chapter 19, really spend your time in there. There's some, some tough little pictures. Not too hard, though. Uh, but keep the flow going and you'll be all right. 15-minute break. Reconvene at 1030 for our hour of worship. Thank you, everybody.